But you have to go out there and say, here's why I'm the person to do the thing I'm doing, why I'm uniquely qualified to do it. Here's the milestones we're going to hit with this capital. And here's why I'm positive we will hit them. You have to just put that confidence hat on. And then this is really important. You have to run the process. Fundraising is not this like evergreen cycle. It is truly a fucking process. First-generation college grad Amanda Getz is paving the way for entrepreneurs, taking what she calls the untraditional path. Prior to launching her CBD brand, House of Wise, Amanda learned operational excellence overseeing brand and product marketing as the vice president of marketing at The Knot. With personal hardships and rising anxiety, Amanda realized that alcohol was no longer serving her. So she turned to cannabis and recognized that there were no CBD brands that spoke to her and the industry lacked transparency. So she set out to change that in launching House of Wise. Amanda now leads her company in offering impactful solutions to modern women, helping them reclaim some of their most important lifestyle routines and needs. You're about to hear why Amanda believes in embracing every part of your sleep, sex, and stress life. Coming up, Amanda shares how watching her father build his company as an entrepreneur showed her what it really meant to be a business owner and parent. Why conversational breadcrumbs are the realistic path to transforming an idea into a business. The importance of founder mental health and choosing the right people to work with. How House of Wise is empowering women to embrace their multi-hyphenate selves. Amanda shares her best tips for a successful fundraise. And finally, she shares why creating a community around your brand is the best launch strategy. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Amanda, Courtney and I are so excited to finally sit down and have this conversation with you. This has been a long time coming and I have to share with our listeners how we first connected. And I actually wonder, do you remember how we first connected? Was it Twitter? It was Twitter. (laughs) We met on Twitter because I think it was Ben Zeiss tagged me in some posts, in some tweet. I can't remember, you had tweeted something like looking to connect with people, but he tagged me. And then this is back it might've been like right before the pandemic started and then everything happened. And then you hosted like a a Zoom meetup, virtual meetup back in, oh my gosh, I think it was like April of 2020. So then we connected and met on Zoom and then the rest is social media history. (laughs) I feel like all of my good friends, good connections have come from social media, specifically during the pandemic. And now those are the people that I leaned on even more to get me through starting a business, like homeschooling three kids. And the power of social media can be both a pendulum swing for the good and for the bad. And I I mean, we can, we can talk more about that, but I will say that Twitter has been a powerful tool in both my personal and professional life. Absolutely. And you are super active on Twitter and I love following all of your content there. And I feel like, you know, with social media, like so many of us have become like 
so close through Twitter and Instagram over the past year and a half. We all, you know, support each other and everything we've been doing. And we all are so connected and we've never even met in person. It's like the coolest it's thing crazy. ever. <laughs> I feel like I literally know you and your kids. And yet like, yeah. We've only spoken a few times virtually and otherwise it's just social media hype, hyping up. Totally. And now the three of us, were all down here living in Florida where a year and a half ago, we were all living in New York city. So, so much, so much can change in such a short time, but we cannot wait to have this conversation with you because you have such an incredible story to share about not only launching your, your new business, you have another startup that you have launched, and then you also ran marketing for, for the not, you have so much, so much to share um, with our listeners and so much advice and insight. I would love Amanda, if you could just, you know, walk us through a bit of your, your background and what led you to now start your latest venture. Yeah. So I have a very untraditional path to where I am now. So I grew up in the Midwest, a town of 800 people. I'm a first generation college grad and my mom was, you know, stay at home mom. My dad had his own plumbing business and I watched him build that company. And granted it's a very different scale and a very different type of business, but watching him be an entrepreneur in his own right showed me really firsthand what it meant to be both a parent and an entrepreneur. Then my first job out of college, I actually ran the Entrepreneur of the Year program for Ernst & Young. And so I was analyzing companies and I was getting like a front row seat into massive companies that would IPO a few years later. And that was really cool to see the passion from an entrepreneur's perspective. That led me to New York from Chicago where I decided to take like a leap of faith. I, I left professional services and I went to a celebrity wedding planner, which feels like a full 180. But I knew I wanted to get a really in-depth look at what it meant to own a brand through an omni-channel approach. And so this, this wedding planner, it was such a weird, it was like four people that worked for him. It was so small, but he had book deals, licensing deals, a reality TV show, how to manage his brand through sales. Like he actually had clients that he planned their weddings for. And then my other part of my job was like, I planned over a hundred weddings during that time. So I felt like I understood brand. That was like my first CMO type role, but I was like 24, 25, like so young. Then I decided to leave that job and start a tech company for the wedding space. And this is back in 2011, 2012, when the New York City startup scene was really heating up. But yet being a female founder was still like, like people didn't take you seriously. I, I, I hate to say that, but like I could not raise money. I couldn't even get people to talk to me. Um, being a first time founder, non-technical, building a tech company, even though I had domain expertise. So I did the accelerator route. And I will say that on paper, that first startup failed but I would not be doing what I am today as successfully if I hadn't done that first failed startup. And it wouldn't have led me to the not because I was in the wedding tech space, building the solution for wedding planners, wedding photographers, et cetera. And that led me to a pitch night that took place at the knot. Carly Roney, the founder of the knot, who was still leading the company at the time was on the panel. I explain what I'm doing I, and she pulls me aside afterwards and says, let's grab coffee tomorrow. Little did she know I had 
one baby at home and I had just found out a week before that I was pregnant with my second. So I didn't tell her that, but she was like, Hey, how are things going? And my hormones kicked in and I cried during the meeting (laughs) and said, not good. Like we couldn't get funding. I couldn't pay for my CTO to be full time. And he wasn't going to leave his job till I could pay him and all this stuff. And she was like, well, when you're ready, I want you to come to the knot. So I took the job. I did tell them that I was pregnant during the interview process. I felt like they needed to know that they still brought me on. I took Matt leave like six months later, but I was there for five and a half years. And during that time is where I really understood operational excellence, like how to manage a large team, how to set OKRs, how, what level of transparency you should have as a leader with different, you know, seniority of, of employees. And at that time, so fast forward to about three years ago, find myself, you know, navigating the company got acquired by a private equity firm. We merged with our biggest competitor and I'm, I'm managing the integration process. I have now three kids under the age of four and I had just filed for divorce. So a lot happening in my life at once. And I think a question I get from a lot of women, it's like, well, one, like, when do you time starting a company slash starting a family? And there's no one answer. Like there's no one size fits all, but I will say that you will figure out how to navigate it. I never, ever, if someone told me 10 years ago, hey, you're going to quit your job, start a company while you're navigating a divorce in a pandemic with three kids, I would have been like, no, there's no physical way you can do that. And I'm doing it because you figure it out. But yeah, so I was going through this whole divorce process with my three kids and alcohol was no longer serving me. Like it had become kind of my subconscious like walk after I put my kids to bed. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to the fridge, grab the glass of wine. And over time, my anxiety was increasing. I was having more anxiety attacks. I was dealing with situational depression plus postpartum depression. And I'm like, okay, this is not working. And so for the first time in my entire life, I turned to cannabis because in my mind, I had put this in a, I'm a mom. I can't touch that. I'm an executive. I can't touch that. So I turned to cannabis and it helped me immensely. I was using CBD during the day before meetings, before I had to like present to people before board meetings, before I put the kids to bed. And yet I saw in the market that there were no brands that spoke to me. And there was really a fragmentation of product quality. I would try products that would make my eyes bloodshot, that would make me immensely groggy. Mm. And so there wasn't a level of transparency in this industry at all. I had no clue where it was coming from, who was behind it. So pandemic hits, I'm still at the knot. I'm navigating the fact that every wedding's getting canceled and we're navigating that. And then I'm seeing on my personal life, friends of mine spiraling, like turning to alcohol, which is affecting their sleep, affecting their stress levels. And I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, if they had CBD, they would not be feeling this way. They would have an alternative. And so I spent some time really soul searching and saying, is now the right time to quit Mm -hmm. my job in the middle of the pandemic? 
And I think for anybody that's listening and they're in that stage of, do I do it now? There's not going to be a day that you're like, light bulb moment, yes. The steps that I took to get there are, I started putting it out there. I started talking about it. I would DM somebody and say, can I share an idea that I have with you? I would have that conversation. That would lead to, oh, you need to talk to this person. They would have an idea for you. Then I would follow that breadcrumb to the next conversation. That breadcrumb eventually took me to someone who was like, I believe in you. I want to give you some money to get this off the ground so you can slowly start testing if this is right. Because I'm building like a physical product that people are going to ingest. I needed to have R&D money, et cetera. And so I just kept following the breadcrumbs. Now, again, I'm an untraditional founder. I kept my day job. I started this company while raising capital, while still keeping my day job, because I couldn't just quit my job. I, I'm now a single mom with three kids. So kept my day job, built it in nights and weekends to get us to a place where we could see if people liked the product. Because if people liked the product and people were excited about the brand, then I could go and have more confidence in quitting my job. So did that, launched in December had over 500 women that what we call wise women talking about the product, sharing the product with their friends. And that got the attention of more investors. And so we raised the seed round this year. So January through April is when I fundraise. It wasn't until April. People think that I have been doing this for a long time, full time. I didn't quit my like jobs I was an interim C CMO for a little bit of time in between there, but I still had full-time jobs during the day to support me. It wasn't until April of this past year that I quit my job and I'm now full-time because I had raised enough capital to pay myself a salary because I, I just couldn't do it. I have, I have to take care of kids. So I'll shut up, but that's the long-winded version of how I got here. <laughs> I have so many questions for what you just shared. And thank you so much for, for going to detail and sharing that, that journey. I always say to people that you don't, you don't have to figure out everything. The day that you graduate from college, this past summer, I had two interns and they're asking me a lot of questions about, you know, finding that first job. And I always say, you know, follow, you know, the opportunities. And while it may not be perfect, you're going to learn something from it and it'll lead you to the next thing, which you call the breadcrumbs. Uh, so I would love to know what were the biggest mistakes or the biggest lessons that you learned in that first startup? You said it really prepared you for what you're doing now. So what were the mistakes that you made? A few things. I like to call everything failing forward because on mm. paper, it's like, Someone could look at my life and be like, she's failed in a lot of ways, personally and professionally, but honestly, they've all been growth opportunities. So I, I truly don't view anything as a true mistake. It's always just failing forward. With my first startup, look, I did many things wrong. I became wrapped up emotionally so much in the process. So there is a drastic difference between how I was in my emotional state with the first company and this one. I rode the highs so high and the lows so low. Now I'm pretty steady state. Like I'm like, oh, cool. Kate Hudson shared our product on National CBD Day. That's cool. 
oh shit, we're not going to get packaging in time for the next product launch. Okay, cool. Like everything kind of has the same, okay, yeah. cool. Like what's yeah. next? So that's number one. Like it is a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, you guys know this. And if you allow yourself to take that roller coaster up and down, you burn out. And so founder mental health is so important. And it's not only important just for you, but it's important for the company. And investors know, they look for second time founders because they know that you're not going to be so volatile in your emotions. So that's number one. Number two, who you choose to work with is so important. And I, I will share two stories. One, there was a guy who presented the opportunity to me and he was like, I'll be your co-founder. Like I do this all the time. I'm running a startup. I'll teach you everything you need to know. Fast forward to, I quit my job, start doing this company and I barely have his time. I am doing it hundred percent of the time. He's running another company. He like maybe joins a meeting every now and again, but yet we're splitting this like co-founder style on the cap table. And it made me realize like, who's going to be in the trenches with me is so important. And that they have skin in the game that they feel like this is their brand and, and making sure that that culture is built from day one and not allowing this like advisor type, but like on the cap table role, it was huge learning for me. If you need a role, that whole, I'll give you some advisor shares and like help me out because I can't pay you, sometimes really bites you in the butt. There's a way to do it that really makes sure that you have clear understanding of what you get in return. So I fucked that up. Second thing I fucked up, friends mixing with business. Now, I am very close to my team at House of Wise. Like we share everything. We have a very transparent culture. They know who I'm dating or sleeping with. Like they, like we all talk, <laughs> like we're a small company. Now we all started though, as people who met on Twitter, who were all aligned on the mission and people who had worked in startups before. What happens in situations, if you bring in a friend who's never worked in a startup, who is your friend from the past, they don't understand what 1% of equity means and how much it's actually valued at. They're like, no, 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 no. I want like 10%. I'm helping you. I'm in the weeds. And I lost two friends in my first startup from doing something like that. Now, I'm not saying you cannot work with friends, but again, it goes back to a very clear outlined roles, responsibilities, intentions, outcomes, and payment, and also understanding that there is a level of like respect and seniority that will happen. And if you are my friend and you come to work for me, that is a new dynamic. Can you tolerate a dynamic where we're equals outside of work, but we're in a subordinate type like role inside of work. And I, I just think that a lot of people assume that their good, their good friends will make for good employees. And that's not always the case. 
I feel like, especially for our founders who are listening and thinking about starting a business, of course, like you're still going to make mistakes along the way. And it's really just important to learn from those mistakes, but hearing stories like yours and being able to like circle back to all of the things that you just didn't know when you started that first business, like you know, we're all young and, and don't have the experience and we're all going to make those mistakes, but it's good to, as Courtney and I have tried to do, like write them down and, and try not to repeat them going forward. But it's just so interesting to hear how you're really able to, you know, reflect on everything that maybe didn't go according to how you thought it would go. And now how you have like a very clear plan going forward for what you're building in House of Wise. So I think that's really great. Next up. You'll hear tips for prioritizing the fundraising process as a season, even if it's uncomfortable. I'd love to know now in House of Wise, this started as your idea. And as you mentioned, you couldn't go full-time without getting funding. So can you share any tips for entrepreneurs who have amazing ideas, they're willing to put in you know, all the time and effort, but they do need investors. How much equity can you keep? How, what is a fair equity split between the people actually working in the business versus the people investing in the business? Okay, so let me break down cap tables in a couple of different ways. So one, and this kind of goes off of our last question, but a learning that I had that I, I see a lot of women, I, I talk to so many female founders, we make the mistake of not prioritizing the fundraising process in season, as a season. If you talk to a 27-year-old startup dude, he's going to say something along the lines of, oh, I'm going into fundraising mode in you know, October, so I'll be heads down fundraising. They view it as that is the season that they are in. And that is the only thing they are focused on. Now, women view it differently. And we can go into the psychology and reasons why, but women tend to view fundraising as a nice to have, not a must have, because they're so focused on proving that what they're doing will work. So men historically will ask for more than they've ever proven. They will say, give it to me now, I'll prove it later. Women want to prove it now, ask later, in, in hopes that someone will just be like, this person is amazing. I want to give them money. Newsflash, that's not the way this world of funding works. And so you have to put on your 28-year-old man alter ego, which is uncomfortable, but you have to go out there and say, I'm going into fundraising mode. If you are truly, truly ready to take on capital, you won't have every answer. You just won't. You won't have proven what you had wanted to prove, but you have to go out there and say, here's why I'm the person to do the thing I'm doing, why I'm uniquely qualified to do it. Here's the milestones we're going to hit with this capital. And here's why I'm positive we will hit them you have to just put that confidence hat on. And then this is really important. You have to run the process. Fundraising is not this like evergreen cycle. It is truly a fucking process. Like you have to say, I'm going to have 10 conversations a day. I'm going to create a CRM just for investors. I'm going to ask for an intro 
from every single conversation and say, who do you think you know in your circles that would want to listen to this and hear about this? You need to get active on social media. Twitter is a powerful tool that truly, truly like helps you get connected and exposure. Like it is a like a level playing field out there. You can DM anyone, be like, I really want to talk to you. Or can you get me an intro to this person that you tweet with often? Whatever. You keep that CRM and you create hype and buzz. And you say, I'm looking to close these terms in the next six weeks. Are you in or out? And you ask for that money. Women are historically really uncomfortable with this. And I was horrible at this with my first. I would just be like, oh, I've got an investor meeting this week. That's exciting. And then two weeks later, oh, I've got another investor meeting. I would never like put urgency. I would never have like a clear ask. I, I wouldn't even have a sense of valuation. And so I think like first and foremost, having that understanding of what like the process is and the, the intention that has to go behind fundraising. So now your question about how do you split that when you are still building on the side and with the people. So if you're doing, if you're looking to do a priced round, so like for us, our seed was a priced round with a term sheet from a lead investor and we had a post money valuation set. In order to issue your options pool to your employees, you have to go through a 409A valuation. And so that is another process. Carta has lots of tools for that. So look at Carta. There's lots of um, service providers that, uh, that also help with that. And then you can dip into your options pool. You should always have a 10 to 15% options pool anyway to incentivize the people that are working for this. In the early days of a startup, everyone should get options because they're in the trenches with you. And I firmly believe that. Obviously, it's a tiered system of like who's at the top and executives get more and then down. But you create something that is systematic that you say officers or this level gets this much and then directors and then associates, et cetera. And so that way, it's not a battle of like, why does this person have more than me? It's very, very systematic. And you can point to, well, everybody at this level gets this much. Now, are you going to dilute yourself? Fundraising strategy is important and something that you need to talk to mentors about. Like, for example, do I think we're ready for an A? No. Do I think we're going to need another capital injection to, to get us to the A? Potentially. And so doing a bridged round versus trying to force an A, an A will dilute me immensely because I'm going to try to raise so much money when I haven't proven a ton of value yet and it's too early. Whereas something like a bridge, uh, you only need say a million dollars of capital injection. And that bridge will get you to the proof point that you need to get the higher valuation for the next round, if that makes sense. I just have so many questions on this. Just, I'm very curious because Stephanie has another venture that she's raising money for, but I personally haven't had to raise money. So this process is just so fascinating to me. Uh, so if you're the founder with the idea, doing all of the work, but you're not putting in money, how much of the company can you keep or should you keep? Are there any guidelines for, for what you should ask for? Uh, in terms of what your equity is on day one without putting in any, any money? Well, day one, you own 100% of the company. It's your idea. Mm -hmm. You're the one working on it. Then comes the investors. 
And the investors are based on what the valuation of the company is. And that's just math, right? It's a calculator. If the valuation is this and they're putting in this much money, this is how much they get in return. And then that dilutes you that much. And so it just continues to compound with true like valuation calculators of how much capital you're taking in. And then, like I said, for, for employees, you keep that options pool. And so take out a hundred. So you have hundred percent at the beginning, quickly take out 15% because that's going to be reserved for your, your hiring people and retaining people. And then as people put in money, depending on your valuation, that's slowly chipping away at the rest of your percentage. What was the process like to make a valuation of your company, especially since you are so new and potentially pre-revenue, correct? Yeah. Um, Yeah. It is literally like you look at market comps, you say other companies that are pre-money, like you have to remember there are men out there raising on PowerPoint presentations at a $20 million valuation. So you go out there and you put out a number that you think is probably slightly higher and maybe a little bonkers and you, you settle somewhere that's actually a good comp for the market. I had a guy tell me full stop laughed in my face when I said what valuation I wanted. And he's like, good luck getting that. And I was like, listen, if you, if you want to lead my round, I I'm happy to have this discussion of what you think is a fair market value, but otherwise thank you for your time. And eventually you find someone who believes in you that I didn't get the valuation I wanted for my, my seed, but I also went higher. And then we settled on something that was more market comps, but you look at for me, yes, I'm CBD. So that's hard to comp because there aren't a lot of VC backed CBD companies, but you look at other D to C companies, you go onto angel list and you say, what did Glossier that would be a crazy comp because they're a unicorn, but like go to another D to C example and say, what did this company raise their pre-seed at or their seed at? And you'll start to see what the market's tolerance is for different valuations. So all of this info that you're sharing, you obviously didn't know this when you started your very first startup. And then when you now went on to start your next company, you had to learn all of this to then start this process. Where did you find the resources? Like, who did you talk to? How did you figure this out before you started the second time around? Yeah, so first being in an accelerator taught me a ton. That was literally like a a one-year program. We went to school, like you literally went to classes where people came in and taught you what the heck is a cap table? What does one look like? Like, those are the things that I was like, I've never seen a cap table. Tell me, what does that look like? But then the other thing that is more, I will say tangible for people listening is I put myself in rooms where people were having these conversations and I uncomfortably pretended like I knew what I was talking about until I did. Like, I hate the phrase fake it till you make it because I I don't think we're faking it. Um, It's more about pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone so you can absorb. I will say forcing myself into more conversations with men who are doing this successfully and then bringing that knowledge into other like female founder groups is important. Like, I don't believe that we're going to create equality by segregating ourselves from men. We're not, because the truth of the matter is they've been doing and playing this game a lot longer. 
And so putting myself in and trying to get myself invited to whatever conversations I can, the same goes for like crypto and blockchain. Like three years ago, I didn't know anything about that. But then I forced myself to start getting into Twitter threads, asking questions, like searching on Twitter for those conversations that are happening and then jumping in. I mean, Clubhouse is who knows what's going to happen. But like during the pandemic, getting into those conversations, forcing myself to listen, forcing myself to ask questions and being very uncomfortable being dumb for a hot second. That's such great advice. And I'm glad you mentioned crypto and Bitcoin because you're going to be hosting an event in the Entreprenista League all about this coming up soon. So yes, super there excited. There are no dumb questions, I promise. Courtney and I have been trying to dabbling, dabbling in a <laughs> Coinbase, but we're, we're waiting for your session in the league. So super excited to learn more about that. So Amanda, I want to just hear more about House of Wise, tell us more about the company, you know, who, who are your customers and yeah, give us a whole, whole intro to the brand. Yeah. So House of Wise is really empowering women to be in the driver's seat of their lives. Now, right now we're doing that through high-end trusted CBD products. We have sleep, sex, and stress. I believe all three of those are like the foundation of a woman's life. And we're trying to remove stigmas and really help women realize that there's double standards that we face every single day and embrace our multi-hyphenate selves because you can be a mom, you can be a career executive, and you can have a sex life. Like, and you shouldn't feel guilty about the blending of those. So we started with a community of women who this brand spoke to, and we call them our wise women. And if anybody knows anything about cannabis marketing, it's that you cannot run paid ads. So the way we launched the product and the brand was really a bottoms up approach from a community of women who were inspired by the products or my story or the brand story. And we give them affiliate deals. So we, we treat our wise women as micro affiliates not MLM. There's no recruiting. There's no upfront costs. It's just, you like the product. You want to tell your friends about it because that's how we talk about products anyway. And then you get a kickback. And so we have over 500 wise women out there with affiliate links talking about the brand. So that's kind of how we got it going. Now, as we grow, will we tap into other channels and think about this more as an omni-channel approach? Yes. Um, but I really think that we are sitting at this intersection of community meets commerce meets content. And we have an entire editorial team that's churning out content to really help educate women, not only on cannabis and what the benefits are of the plant, but sleep, sex, stress, wealth. Like as women make money selling this product, we want to educate them on crypto. We want to give them a form where they can ask whatever question they have about investing. Like I grew up pretty poor and neither of my parents went to college. Investing, I don't even know if I heard the word investment strategy growing up. Portfolio, like these are things I didn't hear. And so now as a 30 year old, and, and into my thirties, like I woke up as a divorced woman who had relinquished all of that control to her, you know, finance husband. And 
I'm like, oh shit, I need to figure this out on my own. And so for the last, for anyone listening and they're like, I feel so behind, I literally was in my thirties before I started understanding what a portfolio meant and how to manage my own money. So you, there is never a right time to figure this stuff out. It's just now feeling in the driver's seat. And that goes back to what I said first is everything we do is to put women in the driver's seat of their lives. And I believe CBD is, is one component of that. And, and our products really do help women think about alternatives to alcohol and, and other things and other coping mechanisms that they may be using to help with sleep and, and stress. What are some of the first products that you've launched? So we started with edibles and our R&D team, we worked with a team of chemists, our head chef that we're working with, with our, our supplier. She was like Madonna's personal chef a few times. So the, the gummies taste amazing, but even more so they work. And so we combined active ingredients with full spectrum CBD. So if anybody doesn't understand what full spectrum versus broad spectrum versus an isolate means, it just means when you use the hemp plant, we combine all of the parts of the hemp plant to create the, the, the oil, which then goes into the product. And that allows for what's called the entourage effect because you get the terpenes and the other parts of the plant in there. So there are no psychoactives. You will not get the head high that you would get from THC, but you it does bring on the cannabinoids that help with the body high, the body relax. So that is truly what CBD is and what full spectrum is. And so we use that with active ingredients. So sleep gummies and sleep drops have melatonin plus CBD. And CBD is really awesome, like, for so many reasons, but it acts as a really powerful heightened carrier for active ingredients. So it makes you feel them even more. Our stress products, so we have stress gummies and drops. Those have L-theanine, which is an, an amino acid, which helps with focus and calm. And then our sex product, which right now is a sex gummy. And then we are launching, this is kind of surprise, but we're launching in two or three weeks our sex serum, which will be part of our sex kit. So it'll be a CBD uh, sex serum, which helps heighten stimulation. But the three active ingredients in our gummies for sex, people ask this question all the time. And full disclosure, our sex gummies are our number one selling product. Women are starting to realize that it is not their fault that they don't have a sex drive. It is a chemical thing. It is a hormonal thing. It is a stress releaser. When you have high cortisol, meaning you're stressed out, that high cortisol blocks many things. One being the chemicals you need to get into the mood. And the second one is mel natural melatonin production, which is why it's hard to fall asleep at night. And so you actually have to bring down your cortisol levels so that your body can do the thing that it naturally is meant to do. So the sex gummies have horny goat weed, ashwagandha and maca root and all those help they work beautifully together to increase lubrication increase blood flow to all the right parts um, to heighten stimulation and heighten orgasm how long do the gummies last for so if you take one when does it wear yeah. off when, when should you take what's the right regimen each day <laughs> tell, tell us all the details amanda yes. and, and actually i do i do want to add 
by the time everyone listens to this episode, this will all be released. So it won't be two weeks away. So if you're listening right now, these are, these are out. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So all of the products, again, goes with intention, intentional living in general, but they take about 30 to 45 minutes to kick in. And so what I have seen through my own experience with the products, but then hearing from our wise women and, and other people that are buying the product is that when they take one of our products, it is now a moment of meditation. It's like, oh, okay, I'm gonna take this, I'm chewing this. And now I know in 30 to 45 minutes, the effect is gonna kick in. But what happens in that 30 to 45 minutes is women start to give themselves permission to really think about the actions that they're taking. So let's take sex, for example, because it's probably the easiest to like talk through, but it's like, you take that sex gummy and you tell your partner or partner optional, like you take that sex gummy for the next 30 to 45 minutes, you're now allowing your head to get into the mind space of like, we live literally all day up here, like from here up. We are just like, what are we seeing? What are we thinking? What are we seeing? What are we thinking? The CBD allows you to get out of here and now feeling what's happening everywhere else. And so for that 30 to 45 minutes, women say like, oh, I go and take a bath. I go and, you know, maybe watch a little porn. I go and light a candle and turn on music. Whatever it is, they allow themselves permission to do that so that they can have the outcome that they are desiring. And same with sleep. We, we hear women say like, once I take that gummy, that is my no phone time. I get off my phone. I like read a book, take a bath, et cetera. And so I'm learning that women have been seeking permission to like take care of themselves. And I feel like our gummies and drops like kind of do that for them where it's like, oh, now it's my time. Up next, why setting an intention for every part of your day is key to work-life balance. All right, Amanda, we've been doing a fun new little surprise segment where we'd like to do some rapid fire questions. So the first thing that comes to your mind, just answer right away. You ready? This is dangerous for me. I have no filter. <laughs> it's perfect then. Okay. Describe yourself in three words unfiltered, brave, loving. I just love people. If you could learn one new skill, what would it be? I want to play the piano. Like I watch people do that and I love to sing, but I, it feels so hard for me. And so that's my skill I want to learn. Love that. What is your most used emoji when you send a text? <laughs> oh, Lord. I, it's always this one where you're like, thank you. Like I use that one a lot. I was going to say another one, but <laughs> which one? Tell us, tell us the other one. <laughs> I feel like because we're a sex company, we use the water spraying emoji all the time. Like if someone has a great idea, we use that one. That's so funny. <laughs> See, these are all the little details we want to know. <laughs> exactly. What's the app on your phone that you can't live without? I'm a single mom. So I'm going to say FaceTime because if I could not FaceTime my kids every day, I literally would lose my marbles. What has been your favorite tech solution or business solution that's helped you in your business? Twitter. Do you have a hidden talent? <laughs> <laughs> 
this isn't hidden, but I was like an all-state like basketball player growing up. So I still play to this day. That's awesome. All right. Last rapid fire question. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? I wish I could just be in multiple places at once. Like every multi-hyphenate woman who is juggling, I mean, even just trying to throw dating into my mix, like sometimes like tired CEO Amanda needs to be sleeping, but like single Amanda really wants a companion right now. So like goes on a date, like I just wish I could be in two places at once. I know. I feel like when, whenever we ask this question, that is typically it's either that answer or just to be able to like teleport and get places faster. Cause we all just want to do more. We want to do so much. Yeah. yeah literally. I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you are able to find balance. I don't like to ask the question anymore. Like, do you believe in work-life balance? Because everything is just, like you said, it's, it's all juggling and figuring things out, but, but what is balance for you? And, you know, you're a mom of three beautiful children. Like, how do you do it all? Cause you do. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, so a few things, one, I like no longer believe in guilt. And there's a real tactical way I approach relieving myself of guilt. And it's truly around intention, both like you put it on paper, but also in your mind, like setting an intention for every part of your day. So let's like get very tactical. Every day I wake up and I have two to three things on, on a piece of paper in front of me. Like literally you can see, like, I, I always have like a couple of things in front of me. Never too many. I don't love these like laundry lists of to-do lists that create so much stress. I say two to three things that I need to move forward. I wake up and those are the only two to three things I focus on until I get them done. I don't allow myself to look at email. I don't look at notifications. I am unapologetic about my calendar is blocked until 1130. No one can book anything before then. And that's my time. Then I go into, you know, defense mode where then I have meetings and, and I'm receiving other things that people need from me. Then I have a hard stop at four where I work out. Four o'clock is my time to re-energize. Plus that's when my cortisol is really dipping. I have no energy and I'm not productive anyway. So at four o'clock I work out. Then I'm with my kids. Then I go to bed. I don't apologize for not getting everything done. And I'm very in the moment, whatever I'm doing gets a hundred percent of me. And then, then I move on. And then the next thing gets a hundred percent of me. And I know that if I try to give everybody 10%, that's not helping anything. And then second, I have started to freaking outsource as much as possible to the point where my nanny, who I kept, I had in, during COVID, who started once we got through lockdown, we had somebody come because I had the kids almost full-time during COVID. And now my kids are going into school. They're full-time in school and she doesn't even live in this town. And I was like, hey, can you stay on for like five to 10 hours a week where you manage doctor's appointments, ordering groceries, interviewing babysitters, like virtually, like she knows my kids just as much as I do. So I offloaded as much that maybe five years ago, six years ago, like my oldest is almost eight. So I've been a mom now eight years. I would have felt so guilty. I would have been like, I should be doing that. I'm the mom. 
back to school shopping. I said, can you go download the lists and place the Amazon order? Here's my credit card. Like, I don't have time to do all that stuff. And I'm, I don't feel guilty not doing it. Someone else can buy the loose leaf paper. So I, I, I think just like trying to figure out where your level of impact is most needed. And for me, the impact is like, can I be present when I'm with my kids and not thinking about all the shit I need to be doing? How do you decide where you have the most impact and what you should spend your time on? Obviously running a startup, there's a million things to be doing every day. So where, where do you at this point draw the line and say that I'm delegating this one I'm keeping? So we have a very clear operating rhythm where we use OKRs. If nobody's ever used OKRs, look into it. It has, it's helps immensely with focus and measurements of success because the worst thing as a leader, like when I managed a big team, I'd be like, was this successful? And if somebody was like, yeah, we think so. It was really great. And I'm like, how do you know that? And they couldn't answer that question. That's the problem, right? And so objectives and key results is what an OKR is. O is objective, KR, key results. Your objective is something like, let's go like, I'm going to do this actually real time here. Say your objective is, I want to increase the brand awareness of House of Wise right? That is an objective we need to have. The KR is now the, the measurement of success. So that has to be quantifiable. For instance, earned media is a way to increase the brand awareness of your company. So we can now put a KR around earned impressions and say, we want to have 12 PR placements a month. I'm just literally throwing out numbers, but now I have, okay, if we hit 12 PR impressions or PR placements a month, we believe that it will increase the awareness of House of Wise. So now my comms person has her goal. She knows she needs to hit 12 placements. This is not our actual numbers, but I'm just throwing them out there. Then I now can have conversations with her to say, what is the right strategy and what are the right conversations to have to lead to the most impactful 12? And now she knows what she's gold on. We've aligned on a strategy because we've had that conversation of like, what's the messaging or what, what outlets we're looking at go. And now I don't have to think about it because every week we have a master tracker of KRs and she's reporting on percentage to goal. And is she going to hit it? And that's how you create autonomy because now she knows what she has to hit. Now, my time is usually spent on things that no one else is working on, which is probably partnerships, investment, investor discussions, like making sure that people understand what we're doing and where we're going. Um, and like, we don't have a partnerships person. And so that's really where I'm spending my time. And then really understanding resources. Like, are we resourcing against the right strategies that are the right levers to hit our KRs? And if we're not, like if we start to see influencers pick up, for example, and influencers start to hit our sales goals, I can now say, okay, I need to spend my time because this is a thing that is driving an objective faster. I will spend more of my time 
understanding what resources are needed. So interesting and super helpful to hear how you break that down and what a resource to, to share with people. So thank you for, for sharing that. Amanda, I can't believe we have to wrap up this episode. I was saying before, when we just took a little break, we could, we could talk for the next few hours, I but, but I know you have more things planned for the day. So um, is there a mantra or quote that, that you live your life by? I kind of just always think about like, you only get to live once, like have fun. Like this should all be fun. If you're not having fun in anything that you're doing, like obviously life is tough, but if you don't like wake up every day, what, whether you're in a relationship or a work situation or whatever, if it's not fulfilling you, there's no prize at the end of this life. There's no medal that you get for surviving go do the thing that's going to bring you joy and spark your passion and make you really jump out of bed every day. And, and I really like live by that. Totally. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista means to me being in control of my life. Like I feel so in control of my destiny. It is up to me to make this as big or small as I want it to be. And that's, and that's an awesome power and an awesome responsibility. And yes, it comes with a lot of work, but it's so cool. Like, that's so cool. We get to build things. So I love that. And also it allows me to, to be in control of my time and schedule and be with my kids. There's nothing better for sure. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your story your journey that is truly just beginning. And we're so excited to continue to follow all of the incredible things that, that you're going to do and can't wait to watch the evolution of House of Wise. I lo love getting all of your emails every week and all of the exciting news that you post and share. Uh, where can everyone find you, follow you? And for our listeners who would like to try your products, how can they, how can they make a purchase? Yes. So I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. So at Amanda M. Getz on Twitter, at Getz AM on Instagram. And obviously both of those lead to House of Wise. So you can follow House of Wise on both platforms. And then we're at houseofwise.co. And for anyone wanting to try sleep, sex, stress products, or all three, whatever, you can create your own kits. We do have an Entrepreneurista 10 um, to give you $10 off your first purchase. So definitely want to offer that up to anyone listening and would love, I mean, I do answer all of my DMs. So if you try the product and you have a good experience, a bad experience, don't hesitate to DM me. I want to hear all about it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amanda. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.